0: Today we will be discussing Season 2, Episode 22, the season finale, titled Over There, Part 2. The conclusion of this incredible, incredible two-part finale arc. Uh, This picks up right where the last one left off. Walter is in a hospital on the other side. He's in danger. Olivia and William Bell have to save him. All the Cortexafan fan kids are dead, so they don't have a way to get back. They have to deal with that as well, all while also getting Peter back. But before we get into any of that, I want to start off by introducing a brand new segment that I will be doing at the top of almost every episode of the show for the remainder of our discussion of fringe things that are different. Uh basically so from this point on, Fringe does a lot. And I mean a lot of alternate world building. Uh whether it be alternate universes or alternate timelines or alternate futures. And They do a great job of all of it. There's very detailed world building on every single one. Uh, It's all really, really spectacular. So, I wanted to highlight that, and I wanted to get into the weeds on that. I wanted to have a dedicated segment of the show to that. So, every time an episode comes along that expands the alternate universe, or expands some other alternate world that we're dealing with, I will be doing this segment of... Things that are different! (laughs) And so, let us begin this first inaugural deal. I'm not gonna do the intro again. (laughs) I'm not gonna do it a third time. So, the big one here is, so, they talked a lot about, a, a lot in part one, about quarantines. Quarantine, quarantine, quarantine. A quarantine protocol that they put into effect when a Tear opens in the universe that can't be contained. And we didn't really see what that quarantine looks like. Now we do. And that quarantine takes a very familiar form. Amber. Which. You might remember from way back in Season 1, Episode 3. This aerosolized deal that, like, crystallizes and creates this, like, suspended animation and is this, like, really cool and really dystopian-looking thing. You have these entire segments of the world that are just quarantined off. uh Buildings, city blocks, entire cities... Almost all of Boston is a quarantine zone. Literally almost the entire city. And these amber spots keep, like, popping up and popping up and popping up and popping up. And it's insane. And it's, like, really incredible imagery to just walk by a, like, amber quarantine zone... See people, like, right on the edge who are just, like, running for their lives and got caught in the spray. Got caught in the crystallization. It's amazing. It's really, really absolutely fantastic. Uh, We also see, like, the blight that Thomas Jerome Newton talked about at the very... In, like, uh, episode 10, I believe, of season 2. Where, like, all the trees and grass had died out. We actually see that. We actually... Uh, have that imagery, and it's kind of horrifying. Uh, There's a great moment where William Bell and Walter are in the car, and Walter's like, am I responsible for this? And Bell's like, yeah, you are. You did this. This was you. (laughs) It's your fault. (laughs) Uh, But we finally see that for ourselves. Uh, Also, uh, apparently they monitor all communication networks. In this universe, like, every single communication network is bugged. Yeah, this feels like a world I don't want to be a part of, if I'm being totally honest. Uh, and finally, I have this last note that I literally wrote as, people who are dead and or not dead. <laughs> so, in this universe, people who are dead. William Bell, from the other side, is dead. You wondered why we saw our William Bell a lot in the other universe, but not the other William Bell? That's why. Other William Bell died in a car crash as a young man. Rachel, uh, in this universe, died in childbirth. So she died. And apparently, Olivia's mother is not dead. In this universe. Olivia's mother is very much alive. So, basically, both Olivia's have a dead relative. They have a dead member of their immediate family. For ours, it's mother. For hers, it's sister. Um, Yeah. It's actually a really great moment. And I'll talk about this, like, fight of the Olivia's. The battle of the Olivia's. Later in this episode. But... That was a great moment when our Olivia sees the picture of alternate Olivia with her mother and is like, Mom's alive in this world? And alternate Olivia is like, yeah, the last few years have been hard for her. Uh my sister died in childbirth. You have a sister? And our Olivia's like, Yeah, and a niece, Ella. And it's like kind of like this really great moment. But anyway. I'm going to skip around, by the way, a lot in this episode, simply because there are so many different subplots running simultaneously. I kind of have to. Like, I can't not do that. So, we'll talk first about Peter and the machine. He meets with Walternet, who lies through his teeth and says, Yeah, I, uh, I need you to help with this machine, because I think it'll heal our world. That's, that's what I want to do. It'll heal our world and definitely not destroy theirs. That's definitely what I want. And Peter's like, okay, okay, okay. Uh, you, uh, you want me to examine this power source? That's cool. I'll, uh, I'll look at it. Peter meets the alternate Olivia, and there's some great interactions between the two of them. Uh, where Alternate Olivia asks a lot about our Olivia. Peter has that whole monologue about how haunted our Olivia is. (coughs) Mm. My throat. (laughs) Not COVID, I swear. And Peter starts tinkering around with the power source, tinkering around with the power source. And he's like, okay, this is unresponsive. Even though it's, even though it's complete. It just is wrong. I don't know how. And then he messes around with it a little bit and realizes, wait a minute, this responds to uh, organic interface. Uh, Specifically a specific subset. More specifically a subset of one. Me. For some reason, this machine, this giant machine that Walter has in his basement is powered exclusively by Peter. Only Peter, he's the only one that can activate it. We don't know how. And I'll stop talking about Peter right there, because that's when it interacts with another plotline. We have the great opening, where Olivia and William Bell perform the hospital rescue... To get Walter out. Uh, William Bell has to distract alternate Olivia and Charlie Francis. Uh, Olivia, like, sort of sneaks Walter out. Gets caught by surveillance footage, with alter- which alternate Olivia then sees. And is like, holy crap, why is that me? <laughs> and... They, uh, they leave, they escape, and they're now on the run. They are now fugitives and now not only do they have to find peter but as i already kind of mentioned earlier they have to find a way back home they have to find a way back to our side because Cortexafan fan kids are very dead nick lane very dead james heath very dead sally clark very dead all of them are very, 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 very dead. By the way, I totally forgot to mention in the last episode, but Walter says he thinks that the Cortexafan kids acting up are because, like, the circuit was flawed somehow, and asks Nick and Sally, like, hey, did you uh, engage in any extreme use of your powers last night? Far more than normal. And Nick and Sally are like, no, I didn't. We saw James Heath healing a bunch of people who had cancer. Healing a bunch of people with terminal diseases. Just in this insane strength of- In this insane use of his powers. So, he, by saving people's lives, Screwed them all. Thanks, asshole! Saving lives! Like, what a, what a jackass! <laughs> what an asshole, saving people with terminal diseases. You suck! <laughs> uh, but... We now have to figure out a way around that. And basically, the way Belle explains it, like, Olivia can open the door a crack with Cortexa fan abilities. But we need to make a doorstop. We need to have a doorstop to, like, hold the door open. Basically, we need a particle accelerator and some other modifications to it. Blah, 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 blah. And so, while Olivia goes off to find Peter, more on that later... Uh, Bell and Walter go to Walternitz Harvard Lab and get the technology they need and do the modifications they need. While this happens, the arguments that take place between Walter and William Bell are incredible. The scenes between John Noble and Leonard freaking Nimoy are Utterly spectacular in literally every possible way. Every moment these two are on screen together is perfection. I, by the way, love that moment when William Bell first... When William Bell first rolls up in the car and is like, Hello, William. Walter, I see you've aged. It appears I'm not the only one. (laughs) It's just like... (laughs) The passive aggressiveness on both of them. (laughs) Uh, But they get into this massive argument in the lab, and so much is brought up. Uh, Walter, like, is mad that William Bell made massive dynamic while he rotted in St. Clair's, and finally gets that frustration out, that's been building for quite a while now, that has been building in the background For a very, 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 very long time, unleashes all that. And then, like, William Bell brings up, like, hey, uh, I came here to prevent a war that was started by you. (laughs) And Walter's like, oh, don't, don't come at me with that. You say you're here to stop a war, but really, you're playing both sides. And Walter drops. Some knowledge that he had not told anyone before. He tells William Bell, I know you're responsible for the shapeshifters. Your design signature is all over them. And William Bell's like, yeah. So, in order to keep tabs on Walternet, I had to remain useful to him. So he made the shapeshifters to be useful to Walternet. And then, the inevitable. I know what you did to me. I know you took out pieces of my brain. You robbed me of memories of my wife, of my son, of my past. I love that line from freaking Walter John Noble. Oh my god. Like, the pain and horror and anger he is just unleashing on William Bell is... Oh, it's something special. This whole scene is perfect. It's amazing, and I love it, and it's why Walter is such a perfect character. It's great. It's all great. But they're eventually able to find what they're looking for and do the modifications. William Bell keeps dodging the question of... Why'd you remove pieces of my brain? Why'd you remove pieces of my brain? Why'd you remove pieces of my brain? And Walter is also like, Yeah, but like, okay, we have this doorstop, but I don't think Olivia is powerful enough to open the door on her own. And William Bell's like, Leave that to me. While all this is happening, Olivia is turning over Everstone to find Peter. Her solution is to ambush ambush her alternate self and get her to lead her to Peter. So we have this amazing standoff that's so well done. Uh, Anna Torv plays off of herself perfectly. By the way, I have to praise how well this show does with differentiating between... Alternate versions of characters. And a lot of it has to do with the writing. A lot of it has to do with the costuming. But none of that would mean shit without these actors being incredible. Like, Anna Torv is amazing at differentiating the two Olivias. John Noble, incredible at differentiating the two Walters. Uh, Jessica Nicole as the two Astrid's uh, and so on and so forth like he is they are all very very good at making both versions feel like two entirely different characters like every time both Olivia's are on screen I forget I genuinely forget that they're being played by the same actress I genuinely forget that they're both being played by Anna Torv uh, in later seasons, when we have uh, Walter and Walter in it together, I forget they're both John Noble. Uh, and Ashton and Ashton together, I forget they're both being played by Jessica Nicole. Like, they're that good. They're that good that just, everything falls away, and it's just perfect and amazing, and I love everything about it. Had to mention that. It's real good. I love it. But anyway... That really like comes to the surface, boils to the surface in this sequence. Uh they have this standoff. Olivia has a gun on Olivia, and then Olivia has a gun on Olivia. Uh <laughs> Olivia searches Olivia's bag for her gun, but Olivia actually gets one over on Olivia because she keeps her gun in her jacket, and so now Olivia has a gun on Olivia, and then Olivia and Olivia fight. The way I described it is not confusing at all. <laughs> Sequence. I mean, yes, it's very clear that they're doing shot-reverse-shot on Anna Torv and a double. It's very obvious if you're really looking for it. But if you're not looking for it, if you're not actively looking for the seams, if you're not actively looking for the cracks, it's pretty damn great filmmaking. It's pretty damn amazing. Like... I have seen fight sequences between someone and their double that could not be more obviously. Like, nothing's making contact. Uh, There's, like, a really bad double fighting our lead actress. Like, I have seen some awful instances of this. Where it's just like, you don't have to be looking for the seams to know that they're there. They are very readily apparent. Uh... Uh, things where, like, there's a very clear, like, line in the cinematography. And, like, I don't, uh, I don't see it here. I I really, really don't. Or at least I don't see anything that obvious. Again, if you go looking for it, you're gonna find it. This is like trying to find plot holes in a time travel movie. Of course they're there if you look for them. Like, just, if you don't look for them, it's fine. (laughs) Like, It's a very, very good sequence that is handled very, very well, that is shot very, very well, that is choreographed very, very well, Uh, and I absolutely love it. Now, eventually, her plan to have uh, alternate Olivia lead our Olivia to Peter, that's completely gone. Uh, She has to knock out and tie up Olivia, alternate Olivia, and then take her place! So, like, she dyes her hair red, does the bangs. By the way, uh, nothing rings truer than Brockmire's joke that bangs are just a cruel joke that women play on themselves every few years. I'm sorry, Anna Torv, you're great, I love you, but... Ple- no woman should do bangs. No, No woman should have bangs. They're bad. You can do better. I'm not even, like, criticizing you. I'm saying, like, you... Look. I don't care what you look like. You're better than Bangs. <laughs> every woman, every single woman on the planet is better than Bangs. That is my hard line in the sand. <laughs> you can do better. Uh, But anyway. She disguised herself as... Herself, and <laughs> this is gonna get very confusing, and meets our alternate Charlie. And I love my favorite thing in this episode is people from our universe meeting the alternate Charlie and just not knowing what to say for a second. This happens with Olivia, it happens with Peter, like they both see alternate Charlie and are like, uh, Charlie charlie hey like just like weird for a second but alternate charlie comes they go over to peter bishop because olivia's like hey the secretary wants us to move peter bishop by the way peter bishop's kidnapping apparently a very famous case in this (laughs) universe so once this gets out peter's gonna be a freaking celebrity Uh, And I love the scene where they're riding over and Charlie, alternate Charlie, gives a very similar monologue to what our Charlie gave in the pilot of how, like, we don't know what we're doing. We're not properly briefed. We're obsolete. Like, he gives something, not word for word, but very similar. And you can kind of see Olivia go, yep, that's Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) You can kind of see Olivia have this moment of recognition of, like... Yep, that's definitely a Charlieism. Like the alternate Charlie, so the same thing as uh, our Charlie. Great, awesome. And then we show up at Peter's, and Olivia goes in and is like, "Hey, Peter, listen, we have to move you. Uh, I was given this paper by a friend of your father's, an observer. He said to tell you that your friends are here and they're going to save you, and then knocks out alternate Charlie." And then, when Olivia's like, "Hey Peter, it's me," and Peter's like Peter's just like, "Yeah, I figured that out <laughs> like she lost all form of subtlety the moment she stepped into that apartment, and for very good reason, by the way, but yeah, Olivia shows Peter this drawing of him destroying the world, and Peter's like, "God damn it, Walternet lied to me, and now has to deal with like He's been separated from his father, his real father, without even knowing it, for his entire life. And now, come to meet his real father, and he's a goddamn monster. Arguably more so than our Walter. And we get this great heart-to-heart between Olivia and Peter, where Olivia's just like, Listen, I've been thinking, I, I've i been rationalizing so many Different reasons that you had to come back to fight the shapeshifters, to take care of Walter, to save the world. But really, like, just, I want you back because you belong with me. And there's this, like, great romantic moment. They kiss. It's lovely. It's wonderful. And then Olivia convinces Peter to come back with her. So then everything converges at the opera house. Walter and Belle with their little doorstop, Olivia and Peter, and then also Fringe Division because, uh, alternate Olivia contacted Walternate and she got free, and now they're tracking our Olivia, and they, uh, they found them at the Opera House, they found us at the Opera House, so Walter and Peter are inside setting up the thing, uh, Belle and Olivia are out holding off Fringe Division, Bell has these, like, really great advanced weapons that he hasn't even given Fringe Division yet. Uh, like, the 77 model gun, and, like, the phosphorus grenades, and... It's this great, like, awesome sequence. And then, Olivia and Broyles both get a communication on their little earpieces. Alternate Olivia and Broyles both get communications on their earpieces, and are like, yes, yes, okay... Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, And we don't know what their orders are, but they got orders. And there's this great moment when uh, Olivia tells William Bell to look out as another Olivia shoots. We hear a big explosion outside, and then William Bell wakes up with Olivia standing over him saying like, Hey, uh, I used a grenade. Everything's on fire now. I think we're good. <laughs> I think everything's fine. And then we go in ready to cross over. And it's at this point, William Bell reveals his contingency. So, William Bell is at this point very unstable, to say the least. He is massively, massively massively uh, screwed up on the atomic level. Pretty much every single atom in his body is ready to explode. And uh, basically every single uh, atom is a a full-blown atom bomb. So turns out we don't even need Olivia. That's enough to get him home on it, on its own. Like, that, that on its own is enough to get back to our side. To get back to our universe. Olivia doesn't have to open the door a crack even. Like, William Bell could be the one to open that freaking crack. And so, Bell sacrifices himself. In his last moments, he tells Walter, Hey. You asked me why I uh, removed parts of your brain. Well, you asked me to. Because you didn't like what you were becoming. So this was not some horrible thing William Bell did to Walter. It's something William Bell did for Walter at his request. Which, by the way really speaks to the point where I genuinely believe, like, Walter is what Walter could have become. Like, Walter is a dark reflection of Walter in more ways than one. Left to his own devices, Walter absolutely could have become Walter And it's... It's something. Like, it's really great character work to have that, like, brewing under the surface. And for William Bell to say, like, yeah, you told me to remove the pieces from your brain because you didn't like what you were becoming. Now, uh, now we kind of have that confirmation that, like, if those pieces didn't get removed, like, Walter could have been a Walter If those pieces didn't get removed, like, he could have gotten worse. He could have become a worse human. And William Bell sacrifices himself. They turn the machine on and they get back. They get back home. Everything's great. Everything's amazing. Astrid baked a lot of pies. (laughs) Turns out she bakes when she's nervous. And uh, she's stuffing Peter's face full of pies in celebration of him coming back. Uh, Walter asks if Peter's like staying, staying. And Peter's like, okay, look, I'm trying very hard to see things your way. I can't. But, you did cross through universes twice to save my life, which has to count for something. So, Peter and Walter, not on solid footing by any means. But it's a start. It's a start. And then, get our ending. Olivia goes to the typewriter shop. That the shapeshifters have been frequenting. And she goes back there with the typewriter, the interdimensional typewriter. And she pulls her hair back, and we see the tattoo. The tattoo that the alternate Olivia has. And not ours. And she types on the typewriter, Infiltration achieved. Awaiting orders. And on the other side, alternate goes down into his creepy little basement, and... flicks uh, the light on. And there's Olivia. Begging to be let out. And alternate just looks on, completely stoic, no form of emotion seen at all, Turns out the lights and just walks away. Yup, the Olivia that came back is not our Olivia. It is the alternate Olivia who has now infiltrated our French division, while, while our Olivia is trapped on the other side. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Oh boy, what an ending! Oh crap! Uh, things that are different. Addendum. Uh, Liberty Island is the headquarters of the DOD, and uh, the Statue of Liberty, Liberty, is like that copper color and not the green, rusty, gross color that it is in our world. Uh, I totally forgot that. Anyway, that's it for things that are different. Addendum. Uh, yeah, this. This season, man. Season two is great. Like, I honestly think season two is when Fringe went from, like, a really, really good, really, really impressive science fiction procedural to a truly brilliant masterwork. Like, this is where Fringe became something special. This is the season where Fringe, I think, became something truly unique, truly magnificent, truly incredible. I love everything about it. Uh, It opened up the world to alternate universes very well. It kicked off this war between alternate universes that, oh boy, is going to continue into season three. Jesus Christ, you don't even know. And... It's amazing. Uh season 3 might just be the best season of Fringe. It's between that and 5 for me. It's fantastic and I'm very very excited to get into season 3. I'm very very excited to talk about the roller coaster of emotions that is season 3. It's it's incredible. Honestly, season 3 is when I started to realize this was one of my favorite shows of all time. Season 3 is what made me realize, wait a minute, this is my favorite thing. So, you're not prepared. For those of you who haven't watched this show before, maybe you're watching for the first time along with me, you are not prepared for Season 3. You're just not. It's, uh, it's incredible. It's really, 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 really incredible. Anyway, uh, if you like this... Favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV Archives, so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as we go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcast or app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's simple as just push of a button on the anchor app. I'll play those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark pledges a dollar a month. I appreciate everything you get through there. If you become a patron, you can also get access to the Television Archive Supplemental, which I'll be putting up there once every month. Or, if that's not work for you, you can also support the show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Uh, Tomorrow, we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 1. Talk to you then.